0: on
1: today's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast.
0: You know my favorite um, social media hashtag, you've probably seen me use it, is right to ovulate. Yeah, women have the right to ovulate, the right to cycle.
1: (laughs) I want to add in one more thing before we get to the episode. If you're listening and you're on the pill, please just know that the things that we talk about in this episode are not meant to shame anyone. I do not want anyone leaving this episode thinking that Um, we are trying to shame women out of getting off the pill because ultimately at the end of the day, it's your body. And I truly believe in your body, your choice. I am just here to arm you with all of the information. I know personally as a woman who was put on birth control when I was younger and I was not explained all of the health risks and was not, it was not explained to me what was actually going on in my body when I was taking the birth control. I was really upset when I finally found that out. So that is my only prerogative with this with this episode is that I just want to arm you with the facts so you have all the information and you can make a decision that works best for you and if you decide that the birth control pill is what works best for you, I fully fully support you. I just want you to know that. I just want you to be armed with all the facts. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Real Foodology podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Swan. Today's episode is all about women's health, periods, hormones, what a normal cycle looks like, how to advocate for yourself with your doctor. It's a really interesting episode. And I interview naturopathic doctor, Laura Bryden. She is absolutely amazing. She specifically works with women and hormones, and this has been her, her specialty for the last 20 plus years. And she goes into that. She has an amazing book called The Period Repair Manual, which is kind of what put her on the map for me years ago. I actually found her when I was looking for some insight into natural relief from period cramps. And I will never forget, I came across a blog post that she had written that said, cramps are common, but they're actually not normal. And we go into this. So I'm going to let her explain all of that and what that means. But basically, if you're experiencing any sort of PMS, um, period pain, et cetera, it's actually not normal. As women, we're taught to think that we're um, just destined to suffer throughout our lives and especially throughout our menstrual cycle. And this actually isn't true. So this is actually a sign that something is going on in the body that's a little bit imbalanced. Now, look, I don't want to scare anyone. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's some um, huge problem or a crazy health scare. It could be just something of, you know, super simple as changing, just tweaking around the diet a little bit. And we talk about this too. It's incredibly interesting. Something I do want to say before we get into the episode is we do name a couple of disorders that are, that we're seeing more and more common in women, which would be PCOS and endometriosis, and we barely touch on them. So I'm hoping to have another episode and maybe with Laura all about this specifically, because I want to go really, I want to go deep into the details, but I feel like I just need to say this. This is not meant to shame anyone. We're not making any sort of assumptions about what's going on in your body. Really, as with all of these episodes and my entire life's work is that I just want to empower people to Get all the information because I've found, especially with women's health, is that we're not always given all of the info. We're not given all the answers. And it's becoming more and more common. But I just ultimately, I just want to empower you to check in with your body and look for the signs and empower you with information so that you can go to your doctor and you know what questions to ask because at the end of the day, you truly are the only one that's going to be able to advocate for yourself. You know, you can go out and get advice from doctors and of course they're going to know the treatments and what to do, but you're the only one that can speak up and really advocate for what's actually going on in your body. And that's also to be said something that we talk about a few times and we're not at all, like, I just want to say I'm not crapping on, on Western modern medicine, This goes without being said, but we obviously, of course, need doctors. So that is not at all what I'm saying. But I think sometimes we forget that doctors are also human too. Sometimes they make mistakes. Sometimes they don't have all the information, especially, again, when it comes to women's health. Traditionally trained allopathic doctors are taught more about how to treat symptoms in the way that, let's say, for example, someone comes in with a hormonal imbalance the majority of them just know to prescribe the birth control pill. And what we're realizing with women's health is that it goes so far above and beyond this. And again, we're going to get into this get into this in the episode. But it's they mean well is all I'm trying to say. So I am not shitting on doctors. They mean well. We are all just humans trying to do our best and navigate with the information that we have. And so that's why it's really good for you also to be armed with the information so that then you can advocate for yourself and you can just ask questions, you know, and maybe there's specific labs that you can ask about. And again, uh, Laura goes into this. She talks about different things that you can ask your doctor. And she also has an amazing book that I mentioned earlier, The Period Repair Manual, that I would highly recommend getting because it really is just a great resource for all things women's health. And with that, let's get to the episode. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for coming on today.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about this episode. So before we start diving into everything, why don't you tell the listeners who you are, what you do and what your background is?
0: For sure. uh, So I'm a naturopathic doctor. I have been one since... 25 years which is a crazy long time. That's amazing. So I started doing this kind of work back in the day when you know probiotics were a weird idea and you know I've seen a lot of things come and go over the decades actually. So I, um, I trained in Canada as a naturopathic doctor. Before that I was an evolutionary biologist so I've got sort of a science That's angle amazing. on the whole thing. For the about the last 20 years I've lived down under so for Sydney... Now I currently live in Christchurch, New Zealand. I have consulting rooms here where I help. I treat women with period and hormone problems. Um, I do a bit of present- presenting around the world or back in the day when the world allowed that sort of thing. And actually, I came to LA to do some women's health presentations and you came along to one of them. So yeah. it's quite fun that we've met face to
1: face. I know. It's so cool. Yeah. I had actually found your work. Let's see. God, probably maybe like eight years ago, Hmm. because you were talking about what really drew me in is I will never forget. You had done this post that said cramps are actually not normal. We normalize them and we say that they're normal because the average woman gets them, but they're actually not a normal part of the cycle. And I want to go into that. But um, that's how I first found your work. And Hmm. I was so intrigued. I was like, wait, what? I'd never heard anything like that before. Hmm. And then as I started diving more into your work, I realized that there's so much about women's health, hormones, our cycle that we're not taught traditionally growing up in school, you know? And so as I started diving into all this, I was honestly, I was upset um, and then obviously intrigued because it was my body. And I was like, why are we not taught these things? Like as women, we should know the very basics of how our period works, um, our hormones and the role they play in our health, et cetera. And, um, and then of course, you came out with your book, The Period Repair Manual, which I'm, I literally am sitting here with it right now. I love it. <laughs> It's been such an amazing resource. Um, So, well, let's go into it first. So what are the hormones role in the body for women and um, with the cycle and all that?
0: I want to start with the fact that ovarian hormones, estrogen and progesterone, are important for general health, not just for making a baby. As you know, this is one of my key messages because one of the things that's happened in women's health – you're right. There's so many ways that women's health has been – do know like dumbed down or really misrepresent misrepresented and we kind of treat periods as a and even hormones themselves as sort of a liability or a you know something that makes us different like weird from men and, yeah weird and yeah. as you, you would have heard me talk and about in, in LA like I've kind of my flipped the script on that and I maintain actually I think for lots of reasons female physiology is the basic the standard version of human physiology we're the standard model Men are—they're an add-on. They're different than 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 normal. Um, and they're so like an the add-on
1: package you, you the, order later.
0: Exactly. It's like when you buy a car, you get the ex, you know the something the, <laughs> yeah. the the wooden the wooden detail or something like that. So <laughs>
1: the heated seats.
0: Yeah, exactly. So and it's true because actually, as um, in utero, as fetuses, we're all female until six weeks, and then ma- the male factor kicks in. So they're definitely an add-on. So interesting. Basic human physiology is female. That means estrogen and progesterone are part of our basic human physiology and we need them for many things, not just for making a baby, just as men need testosterone for many things, not just for making a baby. It's important for the brain. Both estrogen and progesterone are very important for the brain health. Um, for metabolism, for immune function. We're hearing a lot about female hormones and immune function, actually, with COVID this year, because we we know that estrogen gives women a little bit of, actually more than a little bit, quite an edge in terms of fighting that virus and in terms of fighting most infections, actually. yeah, We should go into that. Yeah, it has like a
1: protective property to it, right? Yeah. For sure. That's really interesting.
0: So that's my lens through which I see female physiology and the menstrual cycle. And then, of course, we have to say right at the beginning that part of the paradigm shift that has to happen is this idea that hormonal birth control or contraceptive drugs, I know I refuse to use the word hormone to describe those drugs, this idea, this yeah. narrative that they're, those drugs are as good as our own hormones, when in oh. fact they're not, because they're mm. not... Estradiol and progesterone, they're different molecules. They have different effects in the body and particularly in the brain, which is why, for example, women on hormonal birth control have altered brain structure compared to women who cycle. So for me, you know, pieces of evidence like that are just like, you know, wow, there's something big going on here.
1: Yes. Well, I was going to say, you know, what makes me so upset about that, too is that most women go on birth control when they're like 14, 15 and they're usually thrown on birth control not for the use that it was originally made for which is to um you know keep away unwanted pregnancy women are being put on it to quote unquote balance their hormones to help with acne whatever it is it's everything else but the well I shouldn't say everything but but oftentimes they're put on it first to to um, remedy other issues. And what I hate about this so much is that I see so many women now my age in their 30s going, oh, my God, I have been on birth control since I was 15, and no one ever told me all the side effects, and no one ever explained to me that um, it's shutting off my own hormones and replacing them with synthetic ones. And then all of a sudden, they've been on birth control for 15 years suppressing their own hormones. That makes me very upset. I know. (laughs) I know. And I, you know, and the health implications of that long-term is really scary.
0: It is. So it's been so done so casually, right? Like, and we think it's been around forever, but it's really only been for about two or three generations. And back, you know, 50, 60 years ago when the pill was invented, it was not meant to be given to 12-year-olds. Like that was not on the radar of what was going to happen with those drugs. And it just kind of morphed into this thing where... Yeah, it's, it's given out very casually. And I think a big part of it is this, what you said, is given to so-called regulate the cycle, which yeah. it cannot do because just for various, wow. the logic is very simple, right? Because of the main event of the menstrual cycle is ovulation and contraceptive drugs shut down ovulation. So the drug withdrawal bleed that happens on the pill means nothing in terms of women's actual hormonal state and but yet I think the language around that that it regulates periods that it, that their hormones this the way we we use the wrong words for it and that has created this narrative that like I said at the beginning that this is good enough for women and in fact it's not and in fact giving shutting down ovarian function of young girls and I've gone so far as to say I mean it's not an exaggeration to say that Hormonal birth control induces chemical menopause. It's a temporary Ooh. menopause. I
1: mean, it, it's like castration in a way. It is. Oof. I mean, it it's, is. You know. I mean, those
0: words are not, they're appropriate. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It just feels like, whew, like heavy to say that. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really upsetting. And also I do want to note this because um, I think I have a very controversial opinion and this might upset some people, but it's truly how I feel. Um, I feel like we're, we have this narrative that birth control really empowers women. Like, yeah, now women can go in the workforce and they can, um, you know, or like wait to have kids till they're later. And I totally like, I see that. And to an extent, I'm like, okay, that's amazing. It, It does help women, um, to have babies later and now they can control when they have babies. But to me, I don't see it as empowering at all because we don't tell women how to naturally regulate their, their cycle. Um, how to do natural forms of birth control. Instead, we're just suppressing their own cycle. We're not telling them anything what's actually going on in their body. We're not telling them the true side effects of what's happening with the birth control. And if anything, I think the most empowering thing we can do is to teach women how to do this naturally, teach them really to understand their cycle. Like there's things that I never knew Um, I read this other book and it was telling me, which I mean, I didn't even learn this until I was like in my thirties that you can track your discharge and that's how you know when you're ovulating, Yeah. um, you know, and it'll tell you what part of your cycle that you're in. But I spent most of my life, like, you know, most of my life, um, menstruating being like, "Ew, what is this happening to my body? And this is so gross and I'm so dirty. Whereas if someone had empowered me to be like, this is an amazing part of your body and this is exactly what it's supposed to do. But I thought something was like wrong with me. I was like, Oh my God, do I have like something gross happening down there? But it's just a part of the natural cycle. You're describing fertile mucus,
0: which is... Yeah. Amazing. It, and it, you're right. It can be, if you haven't, well, cause you don't make it when you're on the pill, of course, cause you don't ovulate. So when you, a lot no. of, I've had patients who came off and started seeing that for the first time. And as you said, felt like something maybe like was long. wrong. I'm like, no, that's, that's normal. Like you can be, it looks like um just for the listeners, if they are wondering, it looks like raw egg white. It's, yeah. um, it's from estrogen. It's, it's, you know, it's very important in ovulation and also just on what, from, responding to what you're saying the information that women, as women were fertile only six days per cycle, really only one day per cycle, but you have to add five to account, to allow for sperm, It's really the sperm can live that long. Men are fertile every day and women are only, you know, fertile part of the cycle. So logically it should have been men all along taking something to right. impede fertility. And just to respond to, to what you're saying about empowering women Part partly but part of what's happened, which is the other I guess from a political side of things, because we've had these drugs to shut down ovulation and they really they haven't really changed I mean that they have different methods of delivery, but they really haven't changed since the nineteen fifties
1: um, yeah that's because a problem.
0: because we've had those, we have not. We've missed out on innovation that should have invented better methods of avoiding pregnancy. Like I think i, I don't know if I say to my—I think I say to my book, or I've certainly said it many times. It's twenty twenty-one. You know, surely yeah. we can think of, we can come up with methods of avoiding pregnancy that don't involve shutting down the entire hormonal system of women.
1: To be honest, it's a little bit of gaslighting I see because it's like, oh, you don't need to know anything about your cycle. We're just going to like throw you this pill, and then we're going to tell you like this empowers you. Yeah, it's like. No, of course it's opened opportunities for women in order to, you know, abstain from getting pregnant, but like let's find another way that actually empowers women. Like let's teach women actually what is going on in their body. For sure. You know? And I also want to say this too because now there's this whole narrative everyone's like, "Yeah, let's put the men on the hormones." No. And I'm like, "Okay, yeah, I hate that too." I look, I am totally down for like having wim- having men play more of a role in this, like I feel like that is important. But I don't think that now that we know the side effects on our health, suppressing our hormones, let's not now go do it to men. Let's find something that's actually healthy for everyone involved. You know, we don't want to now just like throw men on a track for 30 years to put their health at risk. Oh, I
0: agree. It should be possible to avoid pregnancy without shutting down hormones. And just to use men as an example, there was a bit of research that came out last year. It has certainly hasn't turned into a drug that's come to market, but it was basically the strategy would be to, to merely to um, impair sperm motility. Mm -hmm. So not to shut down testicular function, not to shut down hormones, but just a little tweak. It's like, you can still make sperm, you can still ejaculate all the normal things, but you know, your sperm's just not going to work for as long as you're taking this medication. Like something like that seems so much more targeted at what we're
1: trying to do
0: than these old school drugs.
1: Yeah. Or what about that gel? I heard there's a gel that they can inject. Yeah. yeah so it's called va- Vasal Gel.
0: So that's that has come to market in some parts of the world. Well sorry, it's called the one of the brands that is being clinically trialed is called Vasal Gel in the States. And that's just a it's like a reversible vasectomy. So it's done in the doctor's rooms, um a little injection. It's not, you know, not a a, a complicated procedure. And then it, yeah, it allows um, semen and normal ejaculation, but no sperm makes it into the ejaculate. So that's again, it's another I mean, fairly targeted. Yeah, exactly.
1: But see, and uh, this is where the feminist in me comes out a little bit. I'm like, so in all these years since the birth control pill ca- came out in like the 50s, we haven't made any sort of advance in doing this. Like, I and I feel like if it was a like a quote unquote men's problem, it is a man's problem, but they just don't want to admit it. Um, if it was like truly something that was their quote-unquote, problem, then this would have been fixed years ago. I agree. So, well, can we talk about that a little bit then? So for people that are listening, so the options that we do have now, um, let's say someone listening wants to get off their birth control, what are some of the other options out there? Yep. Besides, I mean, obviously there's condoms, um, which is a great option. Yeah. You know, I'll, they're, I'll they're preface it on, with I'll
0: preface it with we need even more options. I mean, certainly I think we that, do. that has yeah. to happen. But in terms of what exists – currently, um, there's fertility awareness method, which you were referring to That's about tracking your cycle. And I will say that's about tracking it properly. Like not just looking yeah. on your ovulation app. It's like, Oh, my, my ovulation window is approximately here. And outside of that, I'm fine. Like, no, like you would need to learn how to do it, of which there's different resources. There are a few, a couple of, which we could probably mention by brand name. There's a couple of algorithms, computer algorithms that do that for you. They base mm-hmm. it on temperature.
1: So that's Daisy is one, which I... There's also Lady Comp. That's a good one too. Actually, I have a, gr- a story about a girlfriend. So one of my girlfriends um, used this method to abstain from getting pregnant and then used it to get pregnant with her two kids. So she's married. And for years, her and her husband wanted to wait and she didn't want to do hormonal birth control. So um, she read a book. Hold on. What is it called? Taking Charge of Your Fertility. Yes, I was just scanning (laughs) my bookshelf. I was like, I always forget. (laughs) Yep, so she read Taking Charge of Your Fertility, and I will add that in the show notes if anyone wants to order it um and read all about how to track it um when she was ovulating she would look at her discharge every month and determine whether you know what part of her cycle she was in and then every single morning she did her temperature with this thing called the lady comp. Yeah. And for those of you listening that don't know what this is and what we just mentioned there's Daisy, there's Lady Comp, there's also Natural Cycles yep. which is an app that um coordinates with your with the um, thermometer yeah, and every morning she would do her temperature and then it would tell her like, okay, you're in the green, like you're good to have sex and you're fine or you're in the red, like danger zone, use condoms or, you know, or just abstain altogether. And she didn't get pregnant for like five years. And then she also used that method to yep. get pregnant because she yep. was like, okay, I'm ovulating now this is the perfect time. Um, and I use her as an example all the time, but I will say this. It's a lot of work. You have to be willing to like really put in, the work to do it, or I shouldn't say a lot, but you have to. It's you know. You well, it's something
0: like it. Daisy for just a circle back. Like I mean, so yes, yeah. if you do it, if
1: you do it manually, you have to un- really
0: understand what's going on. You have to. The work is learning it. Really, yes. the work is learning it. But and then and then it's only you know ten seconds to measure your temperature in the morning. and, yes. and just glance it like you know feel with your fingers your cervical fluid. um, yeah. and know how to read that with something like Daisy is it's really not that much work. Um, It's, you let the device, the computer algorithm do the calculations for you.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. I shouldn't say it's a lot of work, but it's, it's more work than just, you know, taking a pill every day. You have to be like on top of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay.
0: So there's that. So there's fertility awareness method uh, so fertility awareness based methods, which there are several, we've referred to some of them There's different ways you can do that. And it works. If it's done properly, it works. It's different yeah. than the calendar method, which is just, you know, guesstimating things. You don't really, you don't, you don't want to be guesstimating when you're d- dealing no. with this because ovulation <laughs> does move around a little bit. That's the whole idea. You can't, it you can't assume it's going to happen on day 14, especially if you have a longer cycle, it's going to be later. It, it does vary.
1: Yeah. There's also ovulation strips, um, that you can pee on and it will tell you if you're ovulating or not. You
0: can't use those to avoid pregnancy.
1: Oh, you can't. Oh, okay. No, I didn't because know that. Okay.
0: Honestly, by the time you see, by the time you see the double line that you're ovulating and it's mm-hmm. it's too late, like if you had sex in the previous five days, there's going to be oh. sperm around too. So you can't use that. Unfortunately, okay. you can use that when you're trying for pregnancy. Yes. Got um, it. Okay. So, cause this is window, know. This I pre, know the pre ovulation window is the, mm-hmm. the window of falling pregnant, becoming pregnant.
1: Okay. All right. So
0: just running down the list there's fertility awareness ma- methods. There's condoms, which you mentioned, which I will, I just need to speak to a little bit because my yeah. young, especially my Gen Z patients, I mean, maybe it, it probably varies by generation. A lot of my young patients seem to think that condoms don't. Work and I don't what? know where that messaging has come from because I, well, I mean, yeah, I'm Gen X, so I use th- that's what we use, that's what I used, yeah, a, you know, teenager, that's what we use. But I don't know, I think it maybe it's different in the states, but certainly in Australia, there's been so sort of this messaging, oh, that's not enough, you know, you need the pill as well. And I would say you don't need the pill as well, condoms work. You do have to make sure they fit, and that it's yeah. a good quality condom. It hasn't been sitting in the you know, you know the, the sun for <laughs> like, like six months, or somebody's glove compartment. Like it's you know, it <laughs> has to be a good quality one and one that fits properly, so it's not going to slip or break. And then I do like to say for condoms or really any of the you know barrier methods, if there's a, a mishap, and if you're really like, which is not, not likely, but if the condom broke and it was a fertile time and you're, you're really in trouble, there is the morning after pills. So I, yeah. I support that. I think women should have access to that from the pharmacist. Um, it's time dependent, obviously. It's basically just a big dose of the, of the contraceptive drug that's in the pill. So in my thinking, you know, rather than taking that same drug daily, you could maybe take it never, or maybe need to access that like once every two years if you have to kind of thing.
1: That's, Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I want to note this because I was horrified when I found this out. I have some girlfriends that when they were younger, they didn't realize they were just basically using plan B like as birth control oh, like, no. all the time. Oh right. Which no. really makes me nervous. Um I, I feel the same way. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm so glad we have plan B, but like let's use it as it's intended for like a mishap, an emergency, yeah. like, you know.
0: Well, and also using it regularly. You're being exposed to those contraceptive drugs. I mean, it's, you might as well be on the pill at that point. Like if you're taking exactly. it. like if you're taking it monthly, it's a big like dose. Candy. <laughs> like yeah. you don't want to do that. That's that's not solving anything. So no, right. So okay. So there's condoms. Then um, there's well, I'll just mention it in passing. There's withdrawal, which is mm-hmm. obviously. The tale pr- of all the time. <laughs> it, it's, it's popular though. So it's, it's worth mentioning. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, if, it's, oh, yeah, for if sure. it's done properly, just very quickly for your listeners, I'm sure you guys, well, I'm sure they know this, but the trick is do not have sex twice in a row without him peeing and washing his penis. And because there can be there in the pre-cum, there's very, almost no sperm, but in the, if it's going to be a second... Encounter—that's when you can really run into problems. So there's okay. That.
1: So just shower and then you're good. You P- <laughs> well, have to shower pee and then sh- pee and shower is, and yeah. that's
0: probably okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's that. Then um, IUDs, which is a whole yeah. episode on its own, honestly. But we'll just—I'll go through them super quickly because I want to make sure yeah. we have time to talk about other things. But the copper IUD does not affect ovulation, does not impair ovulation, does not contain any contraceptive drugs. It can make periods heavier. It can make periods painful. It does seem to affect mood in some women, which I actually think is to do with this um, the way it might affect the vagus nerve and the cervix, but it's interesting. It's this it affects the vaginal microbiome. It's you know, it's in some ways I'm I have a blog post called The Pros and Cons of the Copper IUD. I still at the end of the day think it's better than the pill, potentially. Yeah. But it's barbaric, let's face it. Like it's kind of crazy putting I mean, not crazy. It's it's a it's a method that people use, and I think it's if it's your only if it's the best method, you know, for you, then I think do it. It's probably still better than the pill, but it is what it is.
1: Can I? I want to say something because um, I actually did the copper IUD, and I got it taken out maybe four or five months in because my symptoms were crazy. Mine were a little bit. I don't even want to say they're abnormal because they happen to a lot of women, but mine were a little. more crazy than than most so my doctor actually told me because we started doing lab work on me and my crp levels like um inflammatory markers were so through the roof that my doctor was like like we couldn't even link it to the iud at first like she was concerned i had some really crazy health thing going on because my inflammatory levels were so high um and I read this later which I wish that I had known this before I put the IUD in. So copper if you so basically um the copper IUD can raise copper levels in your body. And normally you can take zinc to balance that out because zinc and copper work together. Um and I I mean I was like taking so much zinc so it didn't help for me and it it raised the copper so much in my body that it was raising estrogen levels in my body. And I started getting insanely depressed. Um, I was like so starving all the time. I, I literally couldn't even like function. I was so hungry and I, I don't, I had all these really crazy symptoms and, um, for months had no idea that it was even linked to the IUD. And then when we started doing lab work, she was like, wow, your copper's really high. Let's do zinc. And then I kept taking more zinc and that wasn't leveling it out. And then it turns out my estrogen was through the roof. And then sure enough, I took the IUD out and I went back in maybe a month and a half later and my CRP went back normal. My copper went back back down normal. My estrogen, everything leveled out. So um, it's something to keep in mind. I think it definitely works for some women, but not all. Yeah, I hear you. No, definitely.
0: There are women who've had negative experiences. Some women... Have an easier time with it, but yes, th- so it's, it's. But then worth- I
1: have a girlfriend who's had it in for five years and, and she's loves it. obsessed, she loves it. Yeah,
0: yeah. I have some naturopathic colleagues that that's their method of choice again because it's kind of the lesser evil, I guess, from a perspective, at least with the copper IUD, you, you can cycle. But I hear you, you know, if you're and this is part of the gaslighting that's happened to women, right? Like, is yeah, be, be is being told, like, if you had been told, oh no, there's no, it's all in your head, like, it's not yeah. that. See, that's happened with all the methods, right? It's like, oh, no, the pill's not causing depression. It's like 20 years later, oh, the pill causes depression. You know, the research yep. shows it. Yeah. And like, oh, the copper IUD, oh, how could that be affecting, you know, your mood? You're just imagining things. But yeah, it, it, can, uh, uh, it can, like, clearly it can. Like, you can't have that many women having the experience and then just tell them they're all imagining it. Like, it's clearly. It's
1: clearly so- affecting it. Yeah. yeah. So, oh.
0: yes. Okay. So there's the pros and cons of the copper IUD. Yeah. Then there's the hormonal IUD which I do put in a different category from the pill mainly because it doesn't always suppress ovulation, although it is the contraceptive drug, levonorgestrel, which is the same as plan B. It's the same drug, right? In a lot of these, um, pills and implants and IUD it, so it, um, that drug in particular can, can have side effects. Obviously it's quite testosterone-like, so it can cause skin breakouts, hair loss, potentially mood. Um, but, the The advantage of the hormonal IUD for anyone listening, if they have like adenomyosis or severe endometriosis or severe heavy bleeding or something like that, it I think there's a place for it because it certainly can lighten flow. And so it's worth mentioning. I have a, I also okay. have a blog post called yeah. the pros and cons of the hormonal IED. And then where are awesome. we now? We're getting to the end of the available methods of avoiding pregnancy. I mean, there's also yeah. the... A couple of types of diaphragm. There's a cervical cap, which is a barrier method for women. Um, you could put some links in the show notes if people are interested. They, they're not super yeah. effective in terms of, I mean, they, their efficacy is lower than, say, condoms. Um, yeah. There's a new method, which I've forgotten the name of. A few people have asked me about it. It's come to market in the States, which is kind of interesting. It's a gel it's like a, oh. it's like a spermicidal, but it's, it's non-toxic. It's not like the old school spermicides, which are just horrible. And as a comment, do not, any of your listeners do not use condoms with spermicide or have put spermicide anywhere near your <laughs> parts because it, oh. the spermicide causes bladder infections and it's not nice. But this is, um we'll put it in the show notes. I, I haven't had any experience with it with my patients because we can't get it down here. It's quite, from what I understand, it's quite expensive, but it's like, you insert the gel vaginally before sex and it, it basically, um, what's the word immobilizes sperm. Like it's, it's a pH thing. I think it just, the sperm cannot survive in the presence of it or cannot get through. Maybe not. I don't know if it kills them, but like they can't do what they need to do. So that's come to market, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: cool. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll start getting more methods soon because even more, (laughs) Right? We need them, God. yeah. <laughs> right? I know. It's just crazy. When you're taking your vitamins, do you ever think like, hmm, I wonder if my body actually needs all these vitamins that I'm taking and in this exact milligram dosage that comes on the bottle, and do I really need this specific supplement that I've been taking because I read about it on a blog somewhere that people my age needed it? These are the questions that I started asking myself before, like right before I found Paragon Vitamins. Because I started to realize that standard traditional multivitamins are based on an average of Americans' needs, not based on specifically your needs in your body. When I realized this, I was like, oh man, I need to reassess everything I'm taking and I want to get to the bottom of it. I want to get to the root of exactly what's going on in my body and exactly what my needs are for my body. So... This is how I found Paragon Vitamins, and I've been taking them for over a year now. I absolutely love them. I love that they take all the thinking out of it for you. So they do a metabolic test and assessment on you based on a clip of your hair that you send in, and they cross-reference over 350 biomarkers, symptoms, and lifestyle data points to generate a highly effective personalized supplement plan for you. And they gave you, my listeners, a percentage off of their hair analysis assessment when you use RealFood15. So the code is RealFood15, and you're going to get 15% off the assessment. And then from there, you can figure out what vitamins you need and then order the vitamins through them. So go to ParagonVitamins.com and get started today. Okay. So we went over all birth control. Let's talk about the cycle. So like we mentioned earlier, um, and again, like I was so shocked when I read this, cramps aren't actually normal. It's a sign of something else going on in the body. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Period pain is common, but not normal. And one of
0: the things to say about period pain at the at the outset is that, there, as I've described, there's, there are two kinds of period pain, really. There's like you know, period pain, normal sort of period pain, which is linked to something called prostaglandins, which almost always sorts itself out with some of the treatments I'm going to say in a few minutes, yeah. then there's like serious period pain, like, you know, that is linked to endometriosis or adenomyosis or maybe fibroids or something else. Like that's called secondary period pain. If if the pain is at the level that, you know, it doesn't respond to Advil, it doesn't, you can't go to work, like you're curled up in a ball on the the bathroom floor, you know, crying or vomiting, yeah. sometimes going to the hospital with it. Like that is not, okay, that's mm. never normal. Like that. that's debilitating. So I would say no period pain is normal, although milder period pain is quite common, but debilitating pain like that is never, 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 never normal. Mm. And so that's the whole, that's all the activism around endometriosis and trying to bring to awareness this inf- um, inflammatory disease called endometriosis, which affects one in 10 women. It goes undiagnosed for years. Often it runs in families. So you'd have like girls being told, oh, that's just how it is. Like, that's how your auntie was. That's how your mother was. This is how we have periods in our family. And of course that, yeah.
1: Yeah. It turns out not normal.
0: No. So that's, again, endometriosis might be a topic for another day, but um, yeah just acknowledging, I'm just saying to your listeners who have endo or have pain, you know, we see you, we hear you, we know yes. that, yeah, that that can happen. So please read my, I would say read my book and period per manual, that chapter on endo and seek help. Um, but mm. circling back to normal period pain, it should, this is very cocky of me to say this, but it should pretty much disappear with some basic treatments, which I might just provide. Yeah, let's talk Um, about that. Yeah. So basically, I mean, it's going to vary somewhat individual to individual, of course, but basically um, trying a dairy-free diet can make Mm -hmm. a big difference.
1: And is that because just naturally, even if you get organic and they don't have growth hormones, is that just because naturally occurring hormones are in dairy from the cow?
0: It's not, I don't think it's a hormonal thing. I think it's the protein casein is quite, causes a histamine reaction and is just seems to cause period pain and a lot, not everyone, obviously some women don't get period pain at all. So, And some women are fine with dairy, but often I I think I have in a few of my places, like blog posts I've written something like, when I stopped having dairy... Well, now, like thirty years ago, I stopped having period pain. Basically, it turned it off, and I think you wow. know that's the experience with some of my patients. Like for some people, it's that some women, it's that easy. Um, then, on top of that, I would say the next thing to think about is zinc, the supplement zinc, mm-hmm. which there it has undergone a clinical trial for period teenage period pain dysmenorrhea, and they found I love that study because they gave zinc, and they decided they concluded that it quote, works as well as the pill for, you know, switching off period pain, but it, then what they said in the paper, but it's cheaper than the pill. (laughs) I'm like, oh, Oh. well, it's cheaper. Yes. yeah, And also it doesn't create chemical menopause. So, so that's, there's that as well. (laughs) Like it kind of works with you. So the zinc, um, is you know again beyond that just being assortment of just being healthy generally right like not having a lot of junk food you know having enough magnesium coming in either as a supplement or with green leafy vegetables because as you know in period repair manual i talk about the period as the monthly report card so yeah. when you're healthy when you're well nourished when you're not eating inflammatory foods the period should just arrive pretty much symptom free like just you know, come no real PMS, no real pain, just a a normal, healthy event. And my experience over 30 years with patients is that is possible for most women. Like it's the exception being, I guess, if there is endometriosis or something a bit more serious, then it's going to require a bit more work than just a zinc tablet. You know, that's, I would never say that's going to work for everyone, but yeah i my my bar I put the bar quite high in terms of expectation of what to expect from a period. It should be symptom
1: free well, I mean, I feel like women listening to this are gonna hate me, but I didn't have cramps um I started my period when I was fourteen and i didn't have um I didn't experience what cramps were until maybe I was twenty and when I finally got cramps like once a year, the first time ever I was like. What the fuck is happening in my body <laughs> right now? Like I didn't know they were cramps because I I've never really experienced period pain or PMS and all that. Um, and it's interesting what you just said about dairy because I only recently in the last maybe two months have have been getting a lot of cramps lately, and it's not normal for me. And I started kind of eating more dairy lately, and I'm like, huh, I'm connecting all the dots right now. But this is why it's so important to pay attention to these cues in our body because then we can a- adjust our diets accordingly. Um, to help with our cycle, you know, and there's so many things and actually this is something I wanted to go. So this is the perfect thing to go into, yeah. um, is like different symptoms that happen that show up that may not even, people may not even be linking to their hormones. Um, for example, like this one's more common and I think people mostly know this now, but like acne, um, hair loss, uh, digestive health. Um, so if you're having some sort of digestive stuff going on, it could be something to do with your hormones, um, And these, I don't know, I was actually going to ask you, like yeast infections and bacterial vaginosis, is that linked to hormones or can it be? Definitely the vaginal microbiome.
0: We'll just talk about that. The yeah. vaginal microbiome is fascinating, actually. I mean, it's it's a very important part of our body. I mean, everyone would know the gut microbiome as a thing, right? Like the collection yeah. of bacteria in the gut. Um, the, the vagina has one as well that's actually... I'll just, I, I, find it so interesting. This is my, the scientist in me, like the gut microbiome is healthiest when it's super diverse in terms of the number mm-hmm. of species. The vaginal microbiome is healthiest when it's just a couple species. Like it's oh. very specific. It's a cup a few strains of lactobacillus and that's what keep, that makes for a healthy vagina. And that's actually keeps it quite acidic, which is normal. Um, then the cervical fluid, which we talked about later, comes in and makes it more alkaline, right, for, to allow sperm yeah. to get through. So there's a whole, there's a yeah, there's a very interesting ecosystem going on in the vagina. Um, it's affected by hormones, yes. And generally, the vaginal microbiome loves estrogen, like just loves it, like just eats it up. It's actually because estrogen makes the the walls of the vagina make when they're exposed to estrogen, they make a lot of glycogen, which is the food for the right bacteria. So there's this yeah. estrogen is really healthy for the vagina, obviously. Um, so how hormones can affect things is, well, first of all, hormonal birth control can cause alterations to the vaginal microbiome and particularly yeah. the, um, the hormonal ID actually can cause problems. Um, the copper ID can cause what's called, uh, yeah, um, BV or bacterial vaginosis, um, I'm not exactly sure of the, well, the mechanisms, several mechanisms for that. So vaginosis is just, well, both um, yeast infections or vaginosis is just an imbalance in that microbiome and there's different yeah. factors that can feed into that, but yes, hormones. And certainly some women would notice even just with their menstrual cycle, like premenstrually, they might get a, a shift of, you know, flare up of yeast infections or something like that. Usually the solution is to, to well, treat the vaginal microbiome, t- take, um, vaginal probiotics which are some strains to take them orally or vaginally yes. which help and at the same time yes um help to optimize your hormonal situation but here's the thing about women's hormones which should be obvious but I just feel like I have to say it yeah it's normal for estrogen and progesterone to swing way up and down like they do that's the normal state they're in, they're in flux. So we don't we don't want to, like it would be an illusion to think we can have sort of a steady state of hormones. We're going right. to have those ups and downs. And that's why in period to prayer manual, I talk about cultivating what I call hormonal resiliency, which is adapting to the ups and downs of those hormones and feeling good yeah. even as they're swinging, which is, that particularly reg- um, affects mood actually, because depending on the state of your brain health and and how much inflammation is in your system, for example, you can get quite a strong reaction to the ups and downs of both estrogen and progesterone. So whereas the, you know, the medical approach has been, so the paradigm for the medical approach is, okay, we've got these symptoms associated with the ups and downs of estrogen and progesterone, Let's, let's use drugs to shut off those hormones and stop the fluctuation. Rather than, my perspective would be, the fluctuation is normal. Let's optimize everything else in the body so that it can adapt to those ups and downs because that's what it normally is built to do. I mean, that's cycling
1: yeah. is normal for women. We're meant to ride that wave. Yes. That's natural. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, and then when you do little things like clean up your diet, certain lifestyle changes um, that promote a healthier balance, then you're going to be able to ride that wave easier.
0: Yeah. One of the things, just as a concrete example, because this might sound a little bit, if people are listening, they're like, okay, well, what does that mean exactly? Like, Here's a concrete example. Histamine reactions in the body. So for some women, in particular, if they're kind of prone to histamine or mast cell or kind of allergic type responses, estrogen can really flare that up. So often there is my strategy with patients and what I've written about a few times is to try to if you're getting like a histamine or almost like, an, almost like an allergic reaction to your own hormones going up and down, the strategy is actually to stabilize your immune system and try to reduce histamine by things like avoiding cow's dairy. I think that's probably where the cow's dairy and period pain thing comes in, um, you know, looking at probiotics or other ways to stabilize the immune system.
1: That's yeah. really interesting. Also, people listening, you can look up a low histamine diet. Because yeah. there's some foods and like drinks and stuff that naturally contain higher levels of histamines. And if you're really sensitive, you may want to go on a low histamine diet for a bit to kind of control that and bring it down.
0: Absolutely. And one of the biggest histamine foods are all the fermented foods. I mean, I like yeah, fermented like kombucha. foods. Too. Yeah, kombucha and sauerkraut and stuff. Like I like those. I don't personally yeah. have a histamine response, but the Like Yeah, so that can be too much for some people. That can be quite stimulating, quite – create sort of an irritability and breast pain and congestion and um, hives and things like that, headaches. These are all histamine reactions. That's interesting. Mm.
1: You know, I wanted to touch on something too um, that, again, I was really shocked when I finally learned this. Um, So you talked about the vaginal microbiome and all I can think about when you say that is – I remember like when I was younger – there were I don't know if they still do this, but there were all these ads for like, what is it called? Like Summer's Eve, all these like douching like washes and stuff. <gasps> oh, yeah. to like, right. And I think about that now and it makes me like, crazy because I'm like, no, you don't want to mess. You don't want to mess with that microbiome down there. You don't want to kill the good or the bad bacteria because it all lives in a little ecosystem. You do not want to go, disturb your good bacteria. No. no, no. And again, it goes back to that narrative that like women's bodies are gross and I we know. need to clean and deodorize. And I just hate that narrative oh, so I much. Know. No, those, it's just so damaging. It's, it's
0: good for you to mention that. Yeah. Douching is very, no very- one. Bueno. D- don't do it do not do that no your 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 vagina has a plan is it, and if you and again if you have issues like if you do have we, we mentioned bv or bacterial vaginosis it's yeah it's definitely that needs treatment that would be excessive kind of watery discharge kind of smelly yes. discharge obviously see your doctor make sure it's not like an std but like if, if your diagnosis is bv then look at the probiotics look at um maintaining a good level of you know, making sure you have enough estrogen, and yeah, this this definitely natural treatments for that for disturbances.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, so sorry for everyone listening. This yeah. is TMI, but yeah, I went hard. through a phase in college when I was when I had chronic yeast infections, yeah. and what finally got rid of them was taking a probiotic. Yeah. So, and I've been taking it for I don't even know fifteen years now. I take um a women's probiotic yeah. that's directly targeted to vaginal health. Yeah. And it's those few probiotics that you mentioned earlier that, that are the ones that the um vagina microbiome really loves. For sure. So that's a really good thing to look into. Sure. Um so this is going a little bit in another direction, but yeah. I want for everyone listening to empower themselves and kind of to know what to ask their doctor and to look for. Um, I talk about this a lot on like my Instagram and my blog. Um hormone levels. So like we were saying earlier, there's a lot of different symptoms that can show up that can kind of show imbalances in hormones. And, you know, maybe it's period pain or they're getting acne around their chin or hair loss. What would be the first kind of steps to start trying to figure that out? Like going to their doctor, maybe questions they ask for, lab work they ask for, trying to like find balancing hormones. For sure. I'll
0: talk you through it. Yeah. So it's, I, okay, just as a, to preface it, I don't start with testing estrogen and progesterone. That's actually not really where I go. So my clinical approach is, it's troubleshooting. Like there's so many ways hormones can go wrong, basically. Like you're trying to, so you're trying to rule out some of the big ones. So first question in the flow chart is, you know, are you ovulating or not? Because if you're not ovulating, then that's the next question in the flow chart is why are you not ovulating? Um, you can track ovulation by temperature, you know, this You have to. the first question is, are you ovulating? Are you ovulating? Anyone who've interacted with me on Instagram, some of my followers even chime in, they're like, she's going to ask you, are you ovulating? Like that's the first, <laughs> that's the first step they all know. So first question. Okay. So then let's say you're not ovulating, for example, the doctor has to, there's some blood tests to rule out why. So you have to look at, okay, Things that don't that are seemingly not that directly related to female hormones, but can affect ovulation. So, th- is there a thyroid disease because that can really affect periods? You know, mm-hmm. is there a gluten sensitivity or celiac because that can majorly affect periods? Is there high prolactin? These are things the doctor is going to rule out. And then, on the like in the territory of not ovulating and having um, jawline acne or facial hair. Are there high androgens, high male hormones? So that would be testing testosterone and PCOS. something called SHBG. That's PCOS. Mm-hmm. I've just okay. just sharing with you, actually. By the by, I've just released. I'm lead author on a peer reviewed paper about PCOS. So I'll oh, put that.
1: That's amazing. I know. I'll
0: put that in the show notes. So I actually, yeah. I feel like my understanding of PCOS has even compared to like a year ago is greatly increased. So yeah. So PCOS is a whole. It's a it's a syndrome of high male hormones. And generally not ovulating, it's definitely a thing. Um, but
1: and we is, should talk just a little bit yeah, about that if we can. For yeah. sure,
0: I will. I, what I want to say at this point is that be careful because very often, unfortunately, women who have lost their period to undereating mm-hmm. are mistakenly told they have PCOS based on an ultrasound finding of polycystic ovaries. The ultras when it comes to PCOS, the ultrasound finding of polycystic ovaries means nothing. Like you could have the hormonal condition PCOS and have normal looking ovaries. Conversely, you could have polycystic ovaries and not have PCOS. So I'm really, that's one of my key messages is to really try to clarify that. And we will talk about PCOS. I'll just kind of go through the blood testing. You know, then the other thing a test I commonly do, just mention it is a day. To, on day two or three of the cycle, if there's a cycle, if there's no cycle at all, then you do it random day. I test the hormones FSH and LH, which are pituitary hormones, which tell me a lot. Well, first it tells you whether it's early menopause, which is unlikely, but you know that can happen. Yeah. Um, then the level of LH, and I have, I've written about this, I have blog posts about this. The level of LH or luteinizing hormone can tell me whether it's more in the kind of PCOS territory or more under eating, which is very common undereating causes a very low level of lh which is pretty mm-hmm. distinctive um yeah so those that gives you a, a sort of an idea of tests that i might do th- and oh I'll, sorry i also test for insulin resistance so
1: yeah and that, that one goes fe- hand in hand with pcos it does
0: so yeah. having prediabetes or insulin resistance does very bad things to female hormones and mm. The problem isn't the female hormones themselves. The problem is that ovulation, the functioning of the ovaries is impaired by insulin resistance. So in that case, obviously the treatment in that situation is to reverse insulin resistance. So yeah. So
1: usually when the insulin resistance is when the blood sugar is leveled out again and normalized, does do we usually see a reduction of symptoms in PCOS? Too? Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. So and I don't measure. So just to say for your listeners, like glucose measuring blood glucose or blood sugar is not enough to diagnose insulin resistance i i test insulin the hormone insulin mm-hmm. and either fasting which is not quite as accurate or as a dynamic panel like a glu- what's called a glucose tolerance test but where they're also measuring insulin not just glucose so then you actually get a measure of the hormone and insulin resistance yeah. is chronically elevated insulin it affects so many things in the body but definitely affects periods and then yeah. The strategy is to reverse that with a combination of diet. And also I'm going to mention, I have to mention inositol. I always feel mm. like I'm doing an infomercial for that supplement, but it really is like seriously, like <laughs> very beneficial for PCOS. It's inexpensive, the infomercial coming out. Like it's inexpensive. It's like safe to take even when you're trying for pregnancy.
1: Have you, oh, do you know amazing. about it or? Yeah. Yeah. I've actually never heard of this. But, oh, okay, um, we'll add it in the show notes. too, because yeah. that's really interesting. Inositol is one of
0: the few; it's the only supplement that made it into the 2018 International PCOS guidelines. So they talk about the usual, like metformin, the pill, which I don't think should be there. I don't think the pill is a good treatment for PCOS. But I mean, they it's also only specific- ruining the hormones more. Yeah, right? exactly. Yep. No, it's true. It's like you're Ugh. treating. You're trying to treat a, like it just doesn't make any sense. Like you're trying to treat a condition of ovulatory dysfunction with a drug that shuts down ovulation and causes insulin resistance. Like it's It's just, yeah, it's like, I know (laughs) it makes no sense, but inositol made it into those guidelines, which is really good progress potentially. Cool.
1: Yeah. And is it widely available? Like you can find it in the U S and. Oh yeah. It's cheap. It's
0: yeah. And any brand is fine. Really. It's, it works. It's a intracellular, amplifier of the insulin signal, basically. It, it works. Yeah. And you could sort of look at, I've, even even though I've kind of read it multiple times, even the actual like low down cellular mechanism is a little bit complicated, but yeah, it's in, basically inside the cells, it turns up the volume of insulin. So that's, oh. that's good. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's great. Cause it pulls yeah. it out of the blood. Yeah. To wrap things up, I wanted just to provide people, um, just tips and tricks, kind of general maintenance for a healthier period, healthier hormone balance, um, can we go over a couple of those? You know, like food, diet, stuff like that. Yep. And I just have to say again, and this is one of my
0: key messages, is figure out if you're ovulating or not. <laughs> like I know it's very repetitive, but until you kinda until you know that, you don't know what you're dealing with. And then yeah. because it's from there that you can then decide what is the thing that you have What's to do. The next steps? to yeah. to improve to get from where you are to the symptom-free period that i say
1: is possible so it it yeah and how does one do that they go to their doctor and they get a test
0: the doctor may not the doctor may not be able to i mean and not to
1: <sighs> well it's hard with allopathic medicine i you know i actually want to add this in here because i think this is a really important component i talk about this a lot i really recommend people finding integrative or functional medical doctors because they have all of the the they have all the traditional medical training but then on top of that they're trained to zoom out and look at the whole picture of everything that's going on um and they're going to look at your symptoms they're not going to their first method of treatment is not to just throw a pill at you they try to treat the symptoms get to the the root cause of it and they practice more preventative health whereas allopathic medicine standard you know it's oh you have these symptoms okay we're going to put you on birth control and look i'm not trying to Crap on allopathic doctors, we need them for a reason, but they just kind of miss some of this stuff.
0: Yeah, I guess what I'd say is it depends on whether you can access that or not. Like not everyone
1: can access the yeah, integrative. That's a great, it, that's a good it, point. In too. terms of um cost. You're right. So let me add a caveat then. Um, as long as your doctor is willing to listen to you and work with you, then I think that's good because I have a lot of people write me and say, Oh my, you know, I went in and asked for this hormonal test or I went in and said, I'm having X, Y, and Z. And they basically just told me, Oh, you're fine. You don't need that and sent them home. Whereas if you have a doctor that actually listens to you and works with you, um, because at the end of the day, you're the expert of your own body. They may be the expert of the human body, but you're the only one that lives in your body. And you're the only one that can truly convey what's your feel- what you're feeling, what's actually going on. And so you want someone to meet you in the middle and actually listen to you and work with you. And towards that end, in yeah. both my books, I have a new book too
0: coming called Hormone Repair Manual, which is for the women 35 plus. But in both books, I have fairly large sections about how to speak to your doctor how to speak with your doctor. So there's Mm -hmm. targeted questions so that you know what you're asking for rather than just this nebulous, something's not right. Like, so specifically like ask the doctor, am I ovulating? Which is actually the doctor, unfortunately, this is where we kind of started. The doctor may not actually be very good at figuring that out, unfortunately, the average doctor. But yes, you know, if I'm not ovulating, why not? Have you tested me? Have you screened me for celiac? Have you tested my thyroid? Is this PCOS, you know, like some very specific questions to try to understand where things are at. In terms of if you're ovulating, that is something you can do at at home. I mean, you can definitely ask your doctor as well, but the simplest way to know for certain, if you're having ovulatory cycles or not, is to track temperatures, which you talked about before. Yeah, You don't have to go all the way and use fertility awareness method to avoid pregnancy. I mean, you could do that, but you could just check in. I mean, just with a, a thermometer you get from any pharmacist for like $10, you know, you can sort of the morning temperatures, you can figure out if you're ovulating or not. And just be, and also keep in mind, just because there's a cycle maybe where you didn't ovulate, it doesn't mean you can't ovulate or you aren't ovulating in other cycles. So it's not rocket science. And unfortunately, well, just, just circling back to the doctors, like I have a blog post called um, the right way to test progesterone. The, the test for to confirm ovulation is a test for progesterone. But it has to be done, to be accurate, it has to be done about a week before the period actually comes, not on day 21, because if you're going to have a 38-day you know, cycle, by day 21, you have no progesterone. That's normal, right? Like, so you have to kind of think that through and logically know that you only make progesterone for a couple of weeks at the most, kind of 10 to 14 days after ovulation and try to pick that up. But back to your question of wrapping it it up, how to have healthy periods, um, be healthy enough to ovulate, whether that means in two opposite cases, whether that means reversing insulin resistance or eating way, way more because you've lost your ovulation due to under eating. Right. I, I say yeah. that again, because this is, you can, so you can see why it's such a problem when women who have lost their period to under eating are mistakenly told they have PCOS and then read that this treatment for that is to go low carb and they're already undereating And then they go keto. Like they will mm. never, 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 never get their period. And I've had I, I, the reason I keep mentioning it, I've had multiple patients in that situation where they are literally going like 180 degrees in the wrong direction, trying to get their period back. So this is why, so for some women who have insulin resistance and full-blown PCOS, yeah, they need to cut sugar. That's how that's going to help them get their period back. For some women who have hypothalamic amenorrhea or under eating, they need to eat as much carb as they can fit really into their bodies to to try to get their period, not just carb, but everything to try to get their period back. And then, you know, for women with period pain, they need to try those simple things, the dairy-free, the zinc, some basic things. And then if that, what I say in my writing is if that doesn't work and you're in debilitating pain, you go to the section in my book where how to speak to your doctor and you say to your doctor, could this be endometriosis? Could I please have a referral to a gynecologist who understands endometriosis? And okay. yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I love that you pointed out to the, um, Sometimes I forget to mention this but I, it's I like to pr- provide people with affordable options you know yes. like budget friendly because we want we want this to be accessible to everyone you know like this should be just a basic human right to be able to you know live live a healthy life and yeah. have a healthy cycle and My
0: books are very much um democratic like for the people like if you yes. know for for everyone if you can if you can afford an integrated gp integrated doctor great or a naturopathic doctor great but even if you can't, yeah, this should still be within your reach and you should be able to, good. with the right script, the right talking points, you should be able to work with your normal doctor to get some of these answers. And sometimes even, I didn't put this in the books, but like I would even say the doctor is offering you the pill and you can even just say, okay, right. Okay, get, I understand, you know, accept the piece of paper with the pill prescription. Is like, okay, I get that that's, you know, what you want me to do, but also, just, you know, out of information, like, is this, what yeah. is the reason that I'm not ovulating? Like, I just, I also just want to understand what is the reason? Is it hyperlectin? Is it thyroid? And, you know, you can still, even if you're sort of, the doctor's going to want to give you the pill. Unfortunately, that's the paradigm we're locked in, but that yeah. might, that could change. And that's changing. I have to share with you down here, well, down under, I mean, maybe it's probably changing everywhere, but I have a, some colleagues down here. I, I've gotten to know quite well, gynecologists. Who've read my book, who are like, you know, trying to take a different approach, trying to help support women to have ovulatory cycles and not just routinely shut it down with hormonal birth control. You know my favorite um social media hashtag you've probably seen me use it is right to ovulate. Yeah. Yes, women have the right to ovulate, the right to cycle yes.
1: <laughs> That's so amazing. And also, I just want to say this too, for um, anyone listening. This whole conversation is not at all meant to like, I mean, I kind of said this already, but we're not like crapping on, you know, standard allopathic doctors because my stance is that, like you said, a lot of these doctors are now reading your book. They don't, they don't know either, you know, and it's not their fault because they went through the standard medical system and they weren't really being taught this either. They're,
0: they're very sold on the pill. That's their background. Like that's their, the narrative they exist within. And depending well, it's on where. Really they're ingrained at, in them.
1: In yeah, they're Sorry. They're yeah.
0: really in it. And one of the one of my colleagues down here, um, should maybe have her on your podcast. Her name is Peter Wright. She's really brilliant. Yeah. She's, a, she's a gynecologist. She um Yeah, she she part in part reading my book, you know, I think something she just it led her to really start to question the pill. And it wasn't easy. Like she had to sort of go through it, kind of go through and then she's now in this position, you know, you can confirm with her, but like yeah. Like shutting down women's hormones is not a good thing. You know, women need their their own hormones and she's, yes. you know, working within her system to try to kind of get that message out. And I could just, when I heard her talk about it and how in, you know, how kind of that, how, how big a paradigm shift that was for her to come out from thinking, oh, it's fine to just use this pill all the time and just routinely shut down hormones to actually out from under that thinking, oh, wow, we need
1: to do things differently. That was a big, big deal for her. That's yeah. really amazing, and yeah. and you know, and she didn't know any better because she yeah. just was she was treating patients based on the information that she got in med school, and and you know, and that's the thing is like our, our doctors really care. I just think a lot of them aren't aware of this. They want to, yeah. They want to help, of course. They, help. they definitely want to help. Exactly. <laughs> so that's also why too. Um, if you're listening, to go through that section in your book and start asking those questions to advocate, because then it also may help your doctor to be like, oh wait yeah, I should be doing this with all my patients. I should be asking them, you know, these questions. Yeah. I love these kind of conversations because that's just really, um, I just want to empower people. I want to empower them with the information, um, the questions to ask their doctor, the, the cheap things they can do at home, the little tweaks they can do. Um, cause you know, sometimes it really is just a matter of changing up your diet a little bit, reducing processed foods and sugar, um, Getting better sleep at night, getting outside and moving your body. And most of these are pretty much free, and the expectation that they
0: shouldn't have to suffer period symptoms. I mean, that's a yes. paradigm shift in itself. Yes. It's just the expectation. And if you keep and if if the things you tried aren't working, then keep searching because it's mm-hmm. it's not your fate as a woman to suffer that, that that's partly you know this thing that we live under that is just not the case and you know I, one of my favorite reviews that i got on amazon for my book there's so many just funny like good ones but one of them was a few years ago now but she was like oh my god i had no idea that what i eat affects
1: my period It's like, of of course it does. (laughs) Of course, that's the number one thing. Yeah, yeah. And then, actually, and I want to note one more thing. I mean, this is a whole new podcast, so we're not going to dive into it. But I just want to mention other things that can also affect your hormones are the um, cleaning products that you use, the stuff that you're spraying in your house, perfumes in your lotion, scented stuff. You know, your body wash, this and that. And I have another podcast that dives into that fully, but that can also mess with your hormones. So there's a lot of different things going on that we need to be aware of. There are,
0: there are, but also just to say, and at the, Mm -hmm. it's, that doesn't mean it's complicated because yes, there are lots of angles into it, but potentially, at least I can speak from the majority of my patients, it's not complicated. Like, you know, let's say 50% of them get benefits just from no dairy and zinc, like, so, like something very simple like that. that. Right. Like it doesn't yes. have to be, cause I feel like sometimes women can think, oh my goodness, it's just all too much. Like I can't, you know, change everything about my life. You don't have to, it can be very targeted, very simple. And also then once you're feeling a bit better, you can also then also, you know, take Talk care of things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yes. We have to make it manageable. Yeah. Yes. I love that so much. Well, we went over everything that yeah. I wanted to ask you. Is there Great. anything else that you wanted to put in there? My final words
0: often and I want to use it again is trust your body. It's kind of what I just said, but it's really not as com- the the female body is not as mysterious or complicated as it's been made out to be. Like it is it wants to be healthy. It wants to have healthy periods it will do that. That's my overwhelming experience with thousands of women in all sorts of different situations. There's a way forward for sure.
1: I love that so much. <laughs> so for everyone listening, where can they find you? I'm
0: easy to find. So I'm my blog is larabryden.com. All of my social media, I'm mainly on Instagram and Twitter, Facebook, at Lara And my two books, so my first book is Period Repair Manual for women of any age. My new book is Hormone Repair Manual for women... I'd say 35 plus. It says 40 plus on the cover, but yeah, 35, 40 around that age and above.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. This was amazing. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you. This is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The song is by Georgie. As always, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. It really helps me in this show a lot. See you next week we